so if, if we and I, I know you're not a neurology expert and you shy away from germ and neurology the yes. two topics that that are not so close to your heart yes. but you did write a book the cats and obviously <laughs> there is neurology in there and too yes. can you remember what the most common neurologic issues were Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Little. And this is Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, and this is the Per Podcast, and Dr. Susan is back! Yay! Yes, yes, I'm I, very, very happy I'm to be back. so excited that you're back. You oh, know, it, it was so lonely without you. No, I, I'm, I'm sure you were like, oh, thank goodness, I don't have to deal with her. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not true, not true. Every time <laughs> I was like, okay, now it's time for Dr. Susan to ask a question and there was this silence you know and i couldn't do anything so then i had to put in another question so it was double the work you were lucky though because you got to record some episodes in europe oh yeah that was wonderful and they were great i mean they were great episodes we had we had a lot of fun and uh so but i missed you so you know it's not the same without you thank you i feel the same way i i I missed our, our our chats yeah. You know, and this, and it's funny that we talk about this. Uh, of course, this is the per podcast, and we're very happy that everybody's here. Uh, we don't have a uh, a guest this time, so it's all about <gasps> Dr. Susan and myself. That's- but we are going to talk about people that uh, made a huge difference mm-hmm. in our lives, yeah. um, and we have talked with so many wonderful, inspiring people. Now we thought we might reflect a little bit on who made a really big impression on. You know, Dr. Susan and on myself and who helped us in our careers. And we thought that would be a nice episode. And we would like to dedicate this episode to a very special person. Yes, we would. So um, it is a bit of a a sad week, probably by the um, time people listen to this podcast, you you uh, you probably will have heard. But um, Dr. Alexander De La Hanta or Sandy De La Hanta, as people knew him, mm-hmm. um, passed away um, recently. So we're recording this in August of 2021. So yep. he uh, he passed away this uh, this month, and he was really a legend, and will remain a legend in veterinary medicine. Yeah, and that is absolutely true. He, you know, everybody knows him because of all the books he wrote. He was a wonderful person too. If you have, if you had the chance to meet him, I and, never met him. Did you? Oh, you haven't? Oh, yeah, yeah. I did did meet him. I think uh, I invited him twice for a conference, and he's such an awesome person to to work with and to talk with. And you know, when you talk legends, those are people that you know were at the cornerstone of. Mm veterinary medicine or a part of veterinary medicine and of course his cornerstone is neurology yeah yeah and you know it's hard to think of what veterinary neurology would look like without him right because I I I pulled up his uh biography and and he graduated in 1958 
So a lot of veterinary medicine was not terribly far advanced, especially small animal medicine, right? Mm -hmm. Wasn't very far advanced in the, in the late fifties and 1960s. And uh, I, I suspect very little was known about neurology or neuroanatomy. And, uh, and he changed that. I wasn't born by then. See? (laughs) (laughs) See? Yeah, you're not responding to that, but that's okay. I, I, yeah, yeah, no, it's true. It's true. And, and I have to say that, uh, so I, I got taught neurology by uh, Dr. Craig Green, who was also one of those amazing people. Uh, Most people probably know him because of infectious diseases books that he had written, but he also was a really good neurologist. So I I got my neurology training through him. So, yeah, but, uh, you know, we always use Delahunta as, uh, as the yeah. book, of course, where everybody goes to. And you're right. You know, these are people that had very little to work with, and yeah. they yeah. just created this passion for a certain topic and then were able to teach so, and to influence so many people in their lives. Yeah. And Dr. Delahunta has been there for a long time because... I remember him when I started yep. and I remember him now uh, when he passed away. I think his whole career was at Cornell, if I'm yep. correct, right? His whole career yep. um, was there. I think he graduated from there and, and you know, was there um, for his whole career. But, you know, you're absolutely right. He, he created, in a way, he created his field, did, didn't he? I mean, he's, he's really the definition of a pioneer. Um, I was taught neurology by um, jo- Joanne Perron um, at uh, the um, Ontario Veterinary College. And, you know, um, neurology remains one of those things that challenges me terribly um, <laughs> to this day, right? It's still a bit of a black box to me. Um, but what little I know, I have to um, credit with Dr. Perron with because I think so here's here's my take on 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 subjects like that, which which can be complex. You know, neurology can be quite complex. It's the enthusiasm and the skill of the teacher, right? That matters. Right. You're right. And and Dr. Prant was um, a delightful teacher. Like you want you enjoyed being with her. And I get the impression that Dr. Delahunta had that kind of same impact on students oh absolutely absolutely yeah. and so and i think that's how, how that's why I, and how he touched so many people of course everybody that went through cornell um have very fond memories of his teaching style etc but even as a speaker and a person that you meet in in the field you know in the congress field his lectures were always packed uh and mm-hmm. you know if you have a really tough story topic like neurology and you can break it down to easy to digest bricks which he was really good at greg green was really good at um then suddenly people get it you know and people are like oh that's how you do it and if you don't have people that can explain it that way it's just a big black box as you say yeah yeah um you know when i was uh reading his biography there's a, a a point in it where he was asked which what does he think his greatest achievement was because you know as as you said he 
He authored um, many um, textbooks and uh, journal articles. And he certainly, like he had many roles at Cornell. I think he was hospital director at one point, uh, chairman of clinical sciences. You know, he, had, he wore a lot of administrative hats too. But anyway, so he said that his greatest accomplishment was successfully teaching neurology to veterinary students. So, you know, for him, fundamentally, the thing that mattered was sharing his passion with students. And so you got to love that. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 A humble guy, I think, uh, a humble guy. And like, there's no question he made that uh, program neurology and neuro neuroanatomy and neuro neuropath at, uh, at Cornell really like world, you know, uh, uh, top quality in the world, really. Yeah. Yeah. Have we ever had a neurologist on our podcast? Ooh. Ooh, I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering. I may have to check our website <laughs> and see. If yes. we, yeah. Um, I know there's one that I would really like to have on our, uh, there's a couple actually, but yeah, I know there's um, uh, a couple that uh, I would like to have on. I can't remember us having neurologists. So there you go. And I think it's, it's, you know, neurology is challenging, but neurology in cats is even more challenging. So it I is. think that, that that is, you know, we, we get often taught neurology in dogs and it's understandable, but cats are, of course, tr more it's tricky different. in a lot yeah. of things. So it would be great to get some cat neurologist on board and talk with us. Uh, and if, you know, if you like that topic, uh, send us in, um, you know, when I am or something that mm. you want to hear this because... Uh, we are more than willing to talk uh, to uh, some neurologists, and 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 you know, I bet they they can talk about stories about Sandy too, uh, sure. you know, because they're probably closer to him. Sure. Uh, and like I said, you know, I met him uh, during my years as a conference organizer multiple times, and always super pleasant. Mm. Always recognize you to an amazing memory for. <laughs> faces and names and that sort of things and i'm so bad at that you oh, know I, I, I know a lot of people too but very often i you know you're better than me <laughs> yes i recognize faces yeah but yeah that's it but uh, but he fun. is just he was just amazing and then so down to earth such a nice guy so so we yes. so we wish I his family and all his friends lots of you know love yeah, and support yeah love and support because it's really tough to uh to miss someone like him and yeah. uh, but you know what you said it is good in the beginning you know he leaves a heritage that is yeah. just totally amazing and uh yep well we'll have to get a neurologist on then so and if our listeners want to suggest um a neurologist for us that'd be great or topics you know? or topics yeah, yeah so you know i think um a lot less is known about feline neurology than canine of course it's you know many fields in feline medicine are, are like that so so if, if we, and I, I know you're not a neurology expert and you shy away from term and neurology, the yes. two topics that, that are not so close to your heart, yes. but you did write a book, The Cats, and obviously <laughs> there is neurology in there too. Yes. Can you remember what the most common neurologic issues were for cats? Um, probably seizures are, are up there, like mm -hmm. idiopathic seizures in, in, uh, in cats. Yep. That's. That's got to be one of the top three for sure problems. Um, you know, so when we when we last had a dermatologist on, I I probably said something like, "I just give them all pred," you know, 
<laughs> yes, you did. Yeah. And this is the same probably. Well, except it's peanut barb. I just give them all peanut barb. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so bad. Um, so I, and I would say certainly in, in um, my clinical practice, my two hospitals that, that see only cats, probably the number one would be seizures. Um, and number two would probably be the neurologic manifestations of FIP. Okay. Yeah, because in, in yeah, in a young cat with neurologic problems, like that's always one of the things we think of first, right? Yeah. So what I remember from my uh, studies and when and all the years that I was a surgeon, and I I love neurosurgery. That was one of my favorite things to do before I became an oncologist. But I remember I I cut a lot of dog dog bags, um, and mm. so lots of experience with uh, with dog neurology. Cats, you didn't see that much, but. Yeah. Uh, cranial nerve disease that's one thing i remember so yeah, that's true you um, mean like corners and things yeah. like that yep mm-hmm. yeah and i remember traumatic neurology neurologic cases in cats sure. because they're hit by car etc yeah. brachial plexus uh, avulsion would be a common one there or um um what's the name when the tail is pulled is it cauda equina syndrome is that what i'm thinking of like at the tail pull, like when the yes. car runs over just the cat's tail, yes. right? Yeah. yeah, and the cat tries to expose yeah. himself from the tail, yep. uh, and yep. it doesn't work as well as in a uh, mm-hmm. in a reptile. Hmm. Mm. No, but uh, yes. So I, I remember that. Uh, so I did do some uh, spinal surgery in cats, but not that often, really. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. brain tumors. That, but of course, yeah. I'm an oncologist, so that's so I remember. Uh, very vividly a cat with a meningioma uh, right. in its brain, which was, you know, it super easy surgery, lovely surgery to do because it just popped out almost. But uh, but those are the things that I remember. But we definitely need to get a neurologist on yeah. so we can chat about these neurologic diseases in cats and what people should expect. And, yes. uh, and, and I think the most important thing is how to do a good neurology exam. Oh. And, how to pinpoint the lesion where it is because that is always the key you know you you know if you don't know where to pinpoint the lesion by looking at the signs that's you know that that's what i thought was so amazing of the lectures of both dr green and dr de la junta is that they were so good in explaining okay if we have this and this and this it's most likely located here that's what i really remember and that's where i suck frankly Yeah, you didn't pay attention probably during their lectures because it's not that difficult. Well, well, easy for you to say. I I always (laughs) found it challenging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So So, it's it's sad to lose a you know a person who was a mentor to so many, but it it certainly got me and I know you too thinking about like who are our mentors and and what what makes a mentor too Hmm. right? What makes a mentor? that somebody of Dr. Delahunta's um, stature, like if you could name one person in your career, I'm sure you could name more than one, but I'm going to mm-hmm. challenge you to, to say, if you could name one person, who would you name? So I probably, you know, can I name one Dutch and one U- U.S. Sure. person? My, sure. my life is kind of split into. Yes. So the first person I remember is a professor in Utrecht, and his name was Meutstegen. Uh, he was a professor in orthopedics, uh, and he really stimulated me to go to the U.S. to go outside of the Utrecht system. And oh. so 
he probably is the reason that I'm here. Uh, he's probably the reason that I have my specialty. And so just a visionary in his time, he, you know, he definitely was not, he was a little disappointed I didn't want to do orthopedics <laughs> because that was his, uh, the love of his life. Um, and, uh, and it turned out very quickly that I was probably not that good an orthopedic surgeon anyway. And so soft tissue was my, my forte, but so he, he probably is the one that nobody knows, but I, I think of very, very dearly. So then the other person that is just, you know, he is my inspiration. He will always stay my inspiration um, uh, next to the fact that I know many, many people, but that's Steve Withrow. And Steve Withrow yeah. is, of course, the, the godfather of oncology. Uh, yeah. start, the start, he started uh, the Colorado State University uh, Oncology Center, and he's still alive, and I still uh, occasionally chat with him and see him, but he's just an amazing person yeah. that... You know, he dedicated his life to train people like him uh, that have a love for oncology, and uh, in in and so he's he is like De La Junta really, mm-hmm. where he started up a a part of an air medicine that didn't exist. Yeah, and started from has, nothing almost, yeah, right? And poured his heart into it for, mm-hmm. you know, with all the great things that he did and all the flaws that he had, he, he, he just dedicated his whole life to that. And that is something that I will never forget. So, and yeah. he took me up in his arms, you know, was, was this strange Dutch guy that called me the tulip plucker. Um, and, uh, and, and he took me up in his arms and he has guided me since. So I'm so grateful for him. And, and, you know, that is, that is where you learn that you have to pick up people. That's yeah. where you, you you have to give your gift to others. That's what I learned from him. So great guy. Yeah. What that's, about you? Yeah, that that's a big part of being a mentor, isn't it? Being willing to mm-hmm. give your gift. Um, so I'm gonna I'm going to name somebody that nobody knows and is not even in veterinary medicine. And and I'll tell you why. So I think the person who was most influential in me, even going to veterinary school was my aunt. Oh. Yeah. So my aunt Joanne, who um, died about two years ago, um, sadly. So she was, I think, the first in my mother's family. My mother has a big family to get a degree. So to go to university and get a degree. And she was a a biochemist and she worked for the Department of Fisheries in Nova Scotia. Yeah, because you probably need to explain to the people that don't know that you are from Nova Scotia. I am. From Truro, which is not the biggest city in the world. So you are a country girl from Nova Scotia. Yes. Yes. I'm I'm from um, the Halifax area. I live in Truro now, but I'm from the Halifax area. And... um, so uh, my aunt and I live with my grandparents who lived next door to me growing up. And uh, I spent a fair bit of time when I was in um, like first year university in Halifax and, and even probably during the last year or so of high school in my, I would visit my aunt in her lab, mm. in her biochemistry lab. Um, and it was amazing to me because she 
was the only woman I knew who was a scientist. She wow. was the only role model I knew. Now, you know, she got her degree in the early 1960s. Um, women were a minority in her class. Um, she uh, won prizes. She went to, she graduated from Dalhousie University. So in, in her own way, she was a pioneer in the 1960s because, you know, early 60s, because it was still not that common for women to go to university, especially in a science, right? So she really was quite unique. And um, yeah, and the, and the time spent in her lab uh, um, really made a big impression on me. And that, so I, you know, I saw from an early age that women could be scientists and women could go to university, right? And women could get degrees. And yeah, I think with without that as a role model, it would have been a little bit more challenging for me. And she was always a great supporter of, uh, of me going to university. And she gave me a helping hand in many ways um, over the years. So, so oh, that's I, a beautiful story. My Aunt Joanne, yes. Yeah. And I think everybody has stories like this. We don't talk enough about it, I think. Uh, but, you know, everybody has people that have either lifted them up and make them do something uh, that they now are really happy about. And, and we don't, like I said, we don't think about it enough uh, often. And so, that's, yeah. you know, another thing that Dr. Delahunter does for us uh, to reminisce a little bit about people. Yeah that have done something for you. So yeah. if you have, you know, as dear listener, have anybody that you want to highlight, let us know. Yeah. We'd love to hear the stories if possible. Now you mentioned two people, so I get to mention one other person. Yeah, you get another one. And and this time it needs to be veterinary medicine related. It is, it is. Okay. definitely veterinarian. Okay. So the other person um, who made a big impact on me um, in veterinary medicine was Tim Griffith Jones. So Tim, um, longtime feline specialist at the University of Bristol, mm. and I met Tim many, many years ago. A lovely, lovely man, um, great teacher, um, uh, especially, you know, people from the UK and Europe will know Tim very well. Um, very much an infectious disease guy, you know, and I'm very much an infectious disease person. Um, and he, he also has such a joy um, you know, I, I like people who after decades in veterinary medicine still get excited about like seeing a case or, you know, seeing things. And so he, was, he always, all, he has a lot of, um, a lot of joy in, in feline medicine. One of the important things he taught me was that in regular clinical practice, you can, I don't know if discover things is the right way, but you, you can see a lot and learn a lot and you can contribute to the body of veterinary medicine, right? So in other words, it's not just people who write textbooks and people who get published in, you know, uh, the Journal of Vet Internal Medicine or whatever. It's not just them, but in private practice, um, you can do a lot too. So I, and I really appreciate that. That was like another little light going on saying, you know, if you're, if you're in private practice, um, don't put limits on yourself. Yeah, I like that idea. I, yeah. You know, and it's true because you see, you probably see cases throughout 
your tenure that you have never seen before. And then you can do two things. Either you can say, hey, I don't know what it is and I really don't care. Or you can really dive into it and find out new things. So even after 20 years of doing surgical oncology, there were still cases that completely surprised me and how much joy you got out of that. Hmm. Um, so that that's a really good point, I yeah. think. Yeah, I, I, I like that. And I like that it's a little bit like in, in science, you've probably heard the term citizen science, mm -hmm. right? So that, you know, you don't, you, the things can come out of um, even ordinary people with a passion for science, right? And so yeah. I think that's true of vets in, in clinical practice, like you will learn things and you will see things and you will teach things yeah. to, to other people, right? And it not everything comes from textbooks says the person who's on their third textbook but yes. not everything comes from textbooks um or uh, or published articles talking about textbooks yes it's <laughs> almost done it's oh, the last gonna... version i am so happy so yes, my textbook the cutting edge you know i, I still i have to do the last few edits this weekend and then it's going away it's going to be uh, not printed is going to be available for everybody free download. I am so excited about it. And I, I hit my deadline the 1st of September. So I'm very proud of myself. That is excellent. So, so I think this is a good time for you to tell us a little bit more about this, this book that we'll all be able to download. So it's the cutting edge. Yeah, it's called the cutting edge three. So it's the third ah. version. The first one was in Dutch. The second first was in English. Uh, and 2006, in, I think, 2007, when it came out. In Swahili or? No, in English, just okay. normal English, you know, okay. UK English. As a matter of fact, no, you're right. It was UK English because this version is US English. I changed ah, it. Okay, different language. So, yeah, and I had to do all the AEs and change it into E and all the S's into Z's, which yeah. is sometimes tricky. And then and I found out. And you know what's trickier? is what? Canadian English is halfway between UK oh, and American. Don't I tell me that. So I yeah. found out that compromised, for instance, is always with an S and never with a Z. Right. And then standardization, <laughs> see? you know, oh, you yeah. go to these words, it's just like, oh, drugs should not, drugs, no, yes. rhyme or reason. But okay, so I'm almost done with it. So it's a book for veterinary students, veterinary technicians, early graduates. And we designed that book in U at Utrecht University from a lot of uh, notes that we used to have. You, we used oh, to have these yes. uh, stenciled uh, parts of surgery, and they were all there were we call it syllabi, but they were all yeah. you know stuck together, and it was one big stack of these reproduced pieces of paper and it was not original so there were reproductions of reproductions and they were awful to read and when i was in utrecht i wanted to change that and make a nice book out of it and so that's how i uh started it a long time ago yep sorry how... for the ringing phone in the background <laughs> there was a ringing phone yeah you may oh, be able didn't... to hear a ringing phone no, in the background nobody heard that nobody heard no. that. and that means that we're live but uh, so we did that uh, a couple of years ago and I needed to do a third version of that because 
there's quite a lot of new stuff. Yeah. But it's really basic. So basic instruments, basic, how to put your gloss on, how to do suture patterns, uh, how to do bandages. How, it is very basic. It has a lot of great pictures in it. So it's all stepwise. There will be some videos, but that will be later um, uh, associated with it. But it is, and it goes from, uh, you know, from the beginning to the end. So, and it has chapters that it's talking about dentistry all the basic things that you that you deal with in uh, in um, in companion animal practice and as a matter of fact it's not only companion animals because we also talk about horses and cows oh. and yeah so it is really uh you know holistic over uh, because for surgery it you know a lot of things don't the, the basic yeah. techniques are the same so yeah so it, it sounds like a book that I could use because I'm early in my career for surgery. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. You, yeah, you could. You could. Yes. yes. And then well, maybe the, the chapters in your book can be, you know, a little <laughs> bit more surgery oriented. <laughs> yes. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm planning to make sure all of the vets who work with me and my practices have access to yours when it when it comes out yeah they'll be much more impressed by your book than mine they're like oh yeah she writes textbooks yeah yeah <laughs> no i doubt it <laughs> but it's interesting because it's 400 pages suddenly and Whoa. it started with a, a lot less so so you have to but no. it is it is free download so it will be a pdf you can freely download it if you want to print it uh, go ahead um but uh, and, and so yeah, if you want to put it on your iPad and that sort of thing, so it's you don't it doesn't cost you a cent. And the best news thing. is, the best news is it is produced by our uh, production company. Yes, and what's the name of our production company, Yola? <laughs> it is sorry for saying sorry. I'm sorry, <laughs> I still love that. I still love that, and that 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 comes out of just a, a little joke that Canadians always say sorry like yes. if we bump into a car we say sorry you know yeah. right and so um and then and then you'll sometimes hear Canadians say oh i'm sorry for saying sorry yes, <laughs> so. yes. and it was a it was a running joke when we lectured together in <laughs> uh, in canada that we yes. said sorry about everything. everything and then we started saying sorry because we're saying sorry so <laughs> Uh, so this is a great name for our uh, yes. corporation, but oh, I'm very, very excited. Exciting. Yes. Yay. Yep. So we'll make sure that uh, all of our listeners know how to access it once it's uh, once it's ready. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that also is a stimulation for someone else that's writing a textbook. Well, someone else is, is making progress. So um, uh, so I am working on the second edition of The Cat and in the the home stretch, the chapters that are left, the two, I think there's like three maybe chapters that are left. And they're of course the ones that I have to personally update. So I kind of <laughs> let them to the end, you know. Um, but, and you're saying this live while all the yeah. people that you've been haunting to get well, things. Because I've run out of people to nag, like everybody else has got their work in, right? So, you know, that that's always the the dilemma of the of the textbook editor because you almost always write some of the chapters yourself or you co-author some of the chapters yourself, right? right. Um, and so uh, I tend to leave my chapters until the end because I'm you know, more concerned about getting everybody else's chapters in because I, you know, I don't have to nag myself, right? Not so much anyway. So yeah, so I've just got a few of my own um, left to update, but the publisher is Elsevier and on the publisher's end, 
Um, there's a flurry of emails going back and forth and they're getting, uh, they're getting think, pushing things along in production. So, you know, for those of you um, who don't know much about textbook production, which includes me, because I'm still learning, um, there is a ton of work, right? It's not yes. just the writing. Um, it's gathering all the images. It's and fig the different figures, it's getting permissions to use them. So there's a lot of like paperwork that goes on. Um, and then there's copy editing and then there's final proofs and there's just so many stages. Yeah. So we're, uh, yeah, so we're, we're, we are, we are moving on. And um, so I, so it, it will be out sometime early next year, I believe, but I don't have a, don't have a date yet. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and we're looking for punishment with these kind of things. We talked to, about that before, too. Because yeah. as soon as I'm done with this one, I have to start my next adventure. Yes, so. you have another one on the go. Here's one piece of advice I would give to anybody who um, is ever considering um, working on a textbook. Don't do it during a pandemic. I would just offer that little yeah. bit of advice. Yeah. And it's interesting. You know, I would have thought I would be so much faster during the pandemic because I'm at home all the time and I can do it. And it's not, it's not true. No, no. And it was, it definitely wasn't true for me. Right. Because I'm a practice owner and, yeah. you know, still doing veterinary, still doing feline medicine. And uh, as I'm sure most of our listeners know, the pandemic changed everything in veterinary medicine. So, yeah. So not a great time <laughs> to do a textbook, but um, anyway. Very good, Dr. Susan. Uh, you know, we started with uh, with heroes of veterinary medicine. We ended yes. with uh, writing books. Uh, this has been a great episode. We're at the end, sadly. So because you have been gone for so many, uh, you will get the honors to close it off. Oh, I do. But I get it every time. So there's really nothing special in that. Yeah. Yeah. You're smiling. I hope you had forgotten it. Yeah. Yeah. I know. You were hoping I wouldn't notice anyway. Yes. Well, this is the Per Podcast. Mm -hmm. And um, you can check out our website at perpodcast.net. Um, you can listen to episodes on our website or in any podcast app that you like. Um, and you can see all of our guest experts and the topics on our website too. Although um, I do have to say that I need to get it updated. Uh, and we um, also try to hold our own on social media. So it's at perpodcast whether it's um, Instagram or Twitter um, or, you know, our Facebook page. So you'll find us on uh, social media pretty easily. And we love interaction from our listeners. So yeah. if you're enjoying what you hear, um, let us know even better. Give us a, a nice review because, you know, podcasting can be a little bit lonely, right? Because we're just we're just hoping somebody out there is listening. You never really know. So it's nice to get the feedback. And um, good reviews also help other people find us too. Yeah, absolutely. So, so this was the podcast for this week. Thank you, Dr. Susan. Yes. And we'll talk to you later.
Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs. And you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yurla Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVETSX. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at per podcast. 